podcast where we watch B-movies. You know, those $5 bins straight to DVD, who are these actors and why did they make this kind of B-movies. Every week we watch a bad movie. We summarize it for you, we review it for you, we grade it for you, and then we answer the absolutely needless question, is this better or worse than the ultimate B-movie? The B-movie with Jerry Seinfeld. Joining me today are two good friends of mine all the way from sunny Seattle, uh, Dawson and Michaela. Dawson, Michaela, welcome to the B-movie podcast. Thank you. It's really fun to be here. Yeah, glad you could have us. Yeah, glad you could be here. Uh, before we begin talking about our wonderful film called New Year's Eve, I would like to have a couple of announcements and make some shout-outs. So the first announcement is a, a constant reminder. If you are listening to the B-Movie Podcast, I want you to know that there are many ways to listen to us. You can listen to us directly on Podbean, uh, where the podcast is hosted, or... You can listen to us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. We are on all three platforms. Um, if you would be so kind to give us a like, a review, a rating, that would really help as it helps other people find us on the show. Speaking of which, I'd like to give a couple of shout-outs. Uh, one to a person who wrote into the show at the Podcast at gmail.com, and one who left a review on Apple Podcasts. So I would like to give a shout-out to Danielle. Danielle, if you're listening, this one's just for you. Uh, Danielle and I went to uh, school kind of at the same time. We knew each other from church. Um, and she writes in and says, I really enjoy your podcast. I normally listen to true crime. And it gets a little dark sometimes. And it's nice to hear a familiar voice and have a laugh. Keep up the good work and keep on smiling. Uh, Danny, thank you so much for sending that in. Uh, and Brennan, or who I assume is Brennan, I'm pretty sure it's a fella I went to college with. Uh, he left us a review on Apple Podcast, and his review reads as follows. He says, Good podcast. Went to college with Jeremiah. This is a good podcast. Learning new things about these B-movies, and they keep it entertaining. I look forward to the next one. You guys should review Christmas Every Day. It's on YouTube, and it's starring Eric Von Detten. It would be a good Christmas edition. Four stars. Brennan, thank you so much for leaving a review for us. I hope you're still listening. I hope you're subscribed for future content. Uh, if you would like to leave a review, uh, please do so. And you know what? I'm not going to be like those content creators who say, hey, leave a five-star review. You know, le leave a, a good, positive review. You know, if you have some issue with the podcast, a suggestion, a comment, I want to hear it. You know, write into the show. Write us an email, thebmoviepodcast at gmail.com. That's the letter B. You can tweet at us, you can shout out on Instagram at us, you can leave us something on our Facebook page. I just want to hear from you guys about whether or not you're enjoying the show, what we're doing well, what we can improve upon, because after all, I'm doing this just for fun. Okay, I'm not doing this for money, I'm not doing this as my job, this is just something I like to do with my friends. And speaking of my friends, uh, that brings me to uh, today's uh, review of New Year's Eve with my good friends Dawson and Michaela. So... This movie is 2011, uh, New Year's Eve. That's the title. But before we get going, I want to ask you, Dawson and Michaela, what are some New Year's resolutions, or I really don't like the term resolution, because anytime you say resolution, someone says, oh, you're going to be done by February, you know, oh, we're going to the gym, this is the year, we're going to save $10,000, blah, 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 I'm paying off my debt, we're going to get a dog. Etc. Etc. You know, people get pretty um, cynical when you say I've got a New Year's resolution. 
So, Michaela Dawson, what are some of your goals for 2020? Do you guys have any goals for 2020? I have one I can think of right away is uh, meal planning, for sure. You would not believe the amount of leftovers I throw out, or more accurately, my poor husband has to throw out, because I just am terrible about that. Personally, my goal I have for the both of us, really, is uh, getting a house. We're going to be looking for a house pretty soon. Okay. So I'm pretty excited about that. You know, meal planning is kind of the bane of my existence. I uh, Luckily, I've got someone in the house who absolutely loves meal planning. Um, but I can't tell you how many times I've bought groceries and then don't eat them. Mm-hmm. You know, All the time. <laughs> you get that real positive rush and go, I'm going to eat healthy. We're going to have a meal plan every day this week. And then Monday rolls around and you go, you know, on Tuesday, I'll have a lot of food, right? Mm-hmm. But it never seems to work out that way. No. So meal planning's good. A house is a big step. Where, uh, what kind of house are you guys looking for? Uh, we're not looking for a mansion or anything like that, for sure. Just a little starter house. Hopefully, at least two bedroom, two bathroom would be preferable. Three bedroom would be even nicer. Well, that wouldn't be bad. It'd be yeah. rough in our area, though. It would be very rough in our very area. Very expensive in sure. Washington. Yeah, I feel like the Northwest is kind of a um, kind of a, an area that requires a little bit of money. Um, yeah. So I can't say I blame you there, but best of luck to you. I have a few, actually. So my first goal, personal goal, uh, the Jeremiah goal, is I want to handle the laundry being entirely hung up the day that I take it out of the dryer, all right? Now, I say the day I take it out of the dryer, and I know what you're thinking. What if you leave it in the dryer, okay? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'll say, I want, you hear me, Mm -hmm. B-Movie Podcast listeners, I want to handle the laundry the day I do it. I want... The, the wash, the drying, and the hanging up all to be in the same day. So, my lovely wife, if you are listening, this is my goal for 2020. Not that big of a goal. Uh, I had a goal for 2019, start a podcast. Here we are. All right, Anything is possible. Even doing the laundry on the same day. Um, the other goal I have for the B-Movie podcast is I would like to grow our social media. So, right now, we've got about 150 likes on Facebook. Uh, we've got a handful of followers on Twitter and Instagram. I would love to see those numbers be beyond a thousand on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook each uh, by the time 2021 rolls around. So that's my goal for uh, the podcast. And my additional goal is uh, to put out content every week. I would really like to get on a regular schedule. It's kind of hard because I'm recording this after work. I'm recording this on the weekends when people um, you know, have time to be able to sit down and record with me. But I would like to start releasing content every week, at least, if not every, you know, two weeks. So, like, if I don't get an episode out that week, you will have an episode within a two-week time frame. That's my commitment to you guys when I started the podcast. want to give you something to listen to. Please help the B-Movie Podcast achieve our 2020 goals. Tell your friends. Invite your friends to, to like the podcast, to listen to the podcast. I would love to interact with more of you on a regular basis. So those are some goals. So I ask that because we have got a movie that is celebrating what apparently is the most wonderful holiday on Earth. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone's favorite. As you know, yeah. When you think of the biggest holiday on Earth, of course you think of New Year's Eve, right? I, how could you think of anything else? There are no other holidays that compare. No. No. Not Easter. No. Right? Mm-hmm. Not Christmas. Absolutely not. Comparison. Ah. Yep. Uh, Groundhog Day may give it a run for its money. Mm. Mm. 
That is debatable. Now, see, I'm being facetious because I don't think I've met anyone who loves New Year's Eve as much as the people in this film. How do we even go about summarizing this film? I've been thinking about it, and it seems almost an impossible task, to be honest. Why would that be an impossible task, Dawson? There are just so many subplots in this movie. So many, you could say, quote-unquote, main... I feel like every character in this movie is the main character when I'm watching it. So in film, in TV, in books, we have what is called the main plot, or the A plot, and the B plot. Okay, Sometimes we have the C plot, the D plot... Game of Thrones certainly has a lot of plots going on, right? Mm -hmm. But the way that they split that up is they say, oh, this is a Sansa chapter. This is an Arya episode. They focus in on one character for a chapter, for an episode, whatever. In this film, it's two hours long, but you get this shoehorned 12 stories of all equal lengths Mm -hmm. in the whole film because they're trying to... They they pair people up and then try to tell a story with them. So I was thinking about this while we were trying to figure out, while we were watching the movie, how was I going to summarize this? I feel like it would be impossible to go chronologically. Absolutely. So I think what we need to do is we need to go character pair by character pair. All right. So the movie opens up. Um, with what I think is Hillary Swank. And so you're going to hear us drop a lot of names. All right, be prepared. But we open up with Hillary Swank, who plays Claire, who is the vice president of the Times Square Alliance. I did not know that this was a thing. I was going to ask, is that an actual thing? And I don't what, know. What do they do? If you were a part of the Times Square Alliance, please write into the B-Movie podcast, because I have so many questions for you. Um, But she's the vice president of the Times Square Alliance. She has this relationship with this cop. Do you know the cop's name? I do not know. I think think he was Frank. (laughs) It might be Frank. He was the chief of police, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Well, he's Claire's friend. He reminded me of a Martin Lawrence knockoff. You know Martin Lawrence? Yeah. (laughs) A little bit. Okay. I don't know his name. Look, I don't care enough about this film to look up all of these actors and actresses' names. If you guys want to, Dawson, mm-hmm. Michaela, if you want to, go right ahead. No, no. Because uh, <laughs> I, I don't know their names. How can I look up their characters <laughs> if I don't even know their names? Because there's a billion of them. Absolutely. We're getting off track. We're getting off track. Claire, the vice president of the Times Square Alliance, mm-hmm. this cop, and then um, uh, the electrician. Because the, 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 her job is to make sure the ball drop goes perfectly, right? So they fire it up. It ascends halfway up the thing, and it stops. And they say, we need Kaminsky. All right, it's Kaminsky, is that right? I think yes, it's Kaminsky. Kaminsky. We need okay. Kaminsky because the ball is not working. And I guess zero of the eight electricians they have on hand whose sole purpose is to work with this ball year after year cannot figure out what's wrong. We mm-hmm. need Kaminsky. And can we bring up the point that the spoiler, the issue that was wrong was it was just a light was out. They just needed to replace a light. That's all they had to do. Do you remember, Sand- uh, not Sandra Bullock. See, I think she's Sandra Bullock. It's, um, what's her name? Uh, Hillary Swank. Swank. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Did you catch the part in there where she said, I have a meeting? And she says, so Kaminsky, you're in charge. She hands him a um, walkie-talkie mm-hmm. and holds up a fuse. A tiny little fuse. Mm-hmm. And then she gets, she says, thank you. And then walks away. So the ball stops halfway up. They got to get Kaminsky. She makes an impassioned speech 
about New Year's and what it stands for. Mm-hmm. New Year's and everything that New Year's is, all the wonderful opportunities and hope and everything that the chances you have with a brand new year. And it look, no one likes New Year's that much. Mm-hmm. No. In fact, you guys ever follow those people on Facebook who go, New Year, new me, every single year? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and look, I get trying to improve yourself, stepping away from bad habits, having goals for life, all good things. Very healthy. But if your whole identity or self-worth is wrapped up in what you can accomplish in a year, I, I don't know if I want to be that person. I don't know that I want to see that on my timeline. But apparently, every member besides Ashton Kutcher, yes, <laughs> uh, every person in this film loves New Year's because they live in New York. Now, we were talking about this. I've got a friend who lives in New York, does not like New Year's. He likes the holiday, but he will stay as far away from Times Square as possible. And where does everyone flock to in this movie? Times Square, of course. Times Square. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Jensen, who he gets to Times Square, but he's got a gala to go to as well. Mm-hmm. We're jumping ahead of ourselves. Hilary Swank's character uh, ends up having this mysterious meeting at the end with another character. So we see a guy played by Robert De Niro Classic. who is uh, dying of cancer mm-hmm. and Carrie Elwes is his doctor yes. and Halle Berry is his nurse. Mm-hmm. So what do we find out about um, about this man? I, I don't know what his name is. I wrote it down. It's uh, Mr. Harris. Actually. Mr. Harris. Oh. That's right. Mr. Harris. Okay. Uh, what do we find out about Mr. Harris? Well, uh, he is dying of cancer. He has pushed away everyone in his life who has loved him. He mentions time and time again that he is not a good person and has ruined all the relationship in his life and also refuses treatment. So he's laying in bed, bemoaning his fate, wanting desperately to see... The ball drop. Yes. Mm. For some reason, he's nearly obsessed with this ball drop. Right. The first few lines that come out of his mouth were, yada, 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 I know I'm dying, I really want to see the ball drop. Mm Mm-hmm. I love the ball drop. He goes so far to say, I I chose this hospital to die in because you can see the ball from the roof. And Carrie Elwes says, we can't take you to the roof, Mr. Harris. It's against company policy. But he's just obsessed with seeing the ball drop. Well, we find out later why. Because he is the father of Hilary Swank's character. And that was always their thing, to watch the ball drop. They loved watching the ball drop as father and daughter. And some would say that's why she went on to work for the um, Times Square Alliance, overseeing the ball drop. Very touching. She, of course, takes him out of his room in the wheelchair, up to the roof. And what, what do they do? Watch they the watch the ball drop. They yep. watch the ball drop. It's, I mean, what did you guys feel about that scene? That was some touching stuff. But, you know, I think that was pretty, pretty cheesy. You know? Yeah. But it, it was a romantic, or it was a moment of love. Yes. It was a romantic. It was yes. father Perfect. and daughter sharing this moment. He's dying. He desperately wants to see it. Not only because it's the tradition with his daughter, but don't you think he's proud of his daughter for Absolutely. working for the Times Square Alliance? Mm-hmm. And when she comes in, like, I got teary-eyed myself. Mm-hmm. All right? Robert De Niro, Hilary Swang did an excellent job in this movie. Mm-hmm. All right? Because they played their characters well. The writing wasn't on Hillary Swank's side in, in totality, but I think Robert De Niro did an excellent job 
portraying a dying man who is, is just desperate to make it to midnight. Now, here's the funny part. You would kind of think that we would say, and that's the end of the film, right? Not even close. That was <laughs> maybe 10% if that. That is a single plot uh, line in the whole film. So we have other characters. What, what, who are some other characters in here, and what are they doing in this movie? Uh, the next people I have are, um, let's see, there is Michelle Pfeiffer, who plays Ingrid. 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 And uh, I'd say Zac Efron would be the next name that uh, yes. pops into my mind. Who so, plays, I don't even know what his name Paul. was. Paul. Paul. Plays Paul. Um, Michaela, what does Ingrid do? Where does she work? She works as a secretary for Ahern Records. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so she is a secretary, and she's working, 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 has a list of things that she wants to accomplish. A New Year's resolutions. Yes. And where um, does Paul come from? Paul is a, uh, a courier, and he was assigned to deliver some packages to her, this company. Mm-hmm. Apparently he's been delivering to them for about a year now, though Ingrid has never realized who he is as a person. Nope. So, uh, he delivers this package and finds out that they are tickets to the Masquerade Gala that Ahern Records puts on. Right? And we're, we're coming back to this gala, <laughs> believe you me. Ooh. I have got some thoughts. But he freaks out. He's like, wow, those tickets, there's four tickets there? Like, that's crazy, Ingrid. I would give so much for that. And she kind of just kicks him off. Now, let's talk about Michelle Pfeiffer's character for a moment. Did you realize that in Hollywood, there is something called Pfeifferism? Excuse me, what? Pfeifferism, (laughs) all right? Which is kind of a, uh, what I would loosely, with quotation marks, call a religion. All right? Which is kind of like, I wouldn't say the worship of Michelle Pfeiffer per se, but of everything she is and stands for. So, you know the song, uh, This Hit That Ice Cold, Michelle Pfeiffer, That White Gold, Mm -hmm. right? That's Uptown Funk. Now, what's that other one uh, that says, the closest thing to Michelle Pfeiffer that you've ever seen? Oh, my God. Right? So, they're kind of obsessed with Michelle Pfeiffer. Now, if you've seen the movie Batman Returns with Danny DeVito, Mm -hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer, Christopher Mm -hmm. Walken, and I can't remember who plays Batman in that one. It's not Michael Keaton. Couldn't tell you. Not Christian Bale, no. No. Anyways, from the 90s. If you've seen Michelle Pfeiffer in that film, you'll realize why people are obsessed with her. Because she is gorgeous. In Stardust, Michaela, you've seen Stardust, right? I have seen it many times. Is she... What's she like in Stardust? Uh, Well, she starts out as an old hag, but Mm -hmm. she... uh, I'm not going to spoil the movie. But she becomes a beautiful, you know, in her prime woman. And she is gorgeous. Okay, what we're saying is Michelle Pfeiffer's gorgeous. Yes. Was she gorgeous in this film? She was, and I believe I saw this in one of the reviews, Dowdy. Dowdy. For some reason, they hired Michelle Pfeiffer, and they said, Michelle, we want you to play not a stylish, um, attractive, business mogul, you know, whatever. We want you to play a Dowdy assistant who's kind of pathetic. Mm. Yeah. So Ingrid has this list of, of things, and she goes to get her bonus, and the guy writes her a check, for, presumably for like $10. Mm-hmm. And it, it, he says, that'll get you to Staten Island. And so she quits and says, you know what? I deserve more than this. Good on you, Michelle Pfeiffer, for quitting. Mm-hmm. But then she calls up Paul and rents him for the day? Yeah, he's a, a 
courier. I don't really see how she did that exactly. Basically, hires him as an escort for the day, just mm-hmm. to take her about places. And she this. says, yes. if you can complete my list, I wrote this quote down. If you can make the rest of my New Year's resolution happen by midnight, I'll give you these. And she holds up the four tickets to the Masquerade Gala, mm-hmm. right? So then there's this whole section of Michelle Pfeiffer and Zac Efron, Ingrid and Paul, out on Zac Efron's Vespa to complete her New Year's resolutions. What are some of these resolutions? Uh, take a trip. Well, go to Bali was one of them okay which mm-hmm. is bali is not in america this is true yes so relatively impossible right thing. impossible and, and he goes these are impossible what do i do and she says use your imagination so they go to a spa that is like the bow the bali day spa which is in an underground area in brooklyn it was in this kind of <laughs> rundown warehouse looking building with no signs on the doors nothing like that the main entrance presumably the main entrance to this place was like a metal elevator shaft door yeah, service elevator to, yeah and so they they're at this bali spa uh what was another thing that she wanted to do uh travel around the world okay and how they do that they drove his vespa around a globe situated in the middle of a fountain so they just kind of drove around the outside of this fountain pretty cheap yeah pretty and cheap. he said that's cheating but you know i, I gotta be creative mm-hmm. all right uh, what else did she want to do, Dawson? There was uh, take a taxi ride through New York with no traffic. With no traffic. So how did they accomplish such a thing on New Year's Eve? Of course, they took the water taxi, which, of course, there's no traffic on the river. The water taxi, folks. Genius, right? Okay. This is very cute, right? Zach Efron helping Ingrid do all this stuff. And Zach Efron plays this, like, dude bro, this college dude bro, mm-hmm. who... You kind of don't like him, but he grows on you in, in, in some ways. And then, you know, he helps her cross off things, these things. So uh, walk through all five boroughs in one day. And so he goes to a place where all five boroughs are in a scale model on the floor and she can walk around them. All right. That's creative. Breakfast at Tiffany's. They have donuts and coffee outside Tiffany's. All right. That's creative. Uh, these things are cute. Well, at one point in time, he said he calls up his buddy and says, yo, I got tickets to this gala. You got to show up. Yeah, this gal is basically just giving them to me if I can help her finish her pathetic little list. Um, and she overhears this, of course, and says, you know, I just take them. I, I don't want this anymore. I don't want your charity. Uh, she goes and spends some time in a coffee shop where she hears Hillary Swank's impassioned speech about New Year's Eve. Remember that? Of course. Everyone hears this. It's all over the world because the ball's not going to drop. It's I don't a time know, to pause and reflect. I don't know what news network she was on, but she stood behind a podium at a press conference. Mm-hmm. So Michelle Pfeiffer sits there, and then what happens to Zach? What happens to Paul? Of course he feels bad <laughs> of about course. the whole situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, towards the end, when he after he uh, drops her off at the, uh, the ball drop, the Times Square, he does come back at the end to give her her final resolution, mm-hmm. which of course was the kiss. Yep, a New Year's Eve kiss. A kiss on New Year's Eve. That was one of my favorite parts, her just like, oh! <laughs> yeah, she, she says, I'm twice your age. Correct you are, Michelle Pfeiffer. Very correct. But that didn't stop him. And then they go to the gala together. Very sweet, very cute, okay? Paul makes an appearance because he's the uncle of the teenager that we're going to talk about a little later. But, again, you would expect us to say, that's the end of the movie. But no. But wait, there's, there's more. more. <laughs> so much more. Here's what I don't get. 
any of these concepts, and I wrote this down as a note. I said, how many people do I have to keep track of? Because there are so many people in this film. Additionally, you could make a full-length feature film, a very touching, whether it be a romantic comedy between Michelle Pfeiffer and Zac Efron, a touching story, a touching drama about a girl and her dad who's dying of cancer, you know, between Hilary Swank and Robert De Niro, um, or maybe this crazy, we're going to have our baby at midnight situation with Seth Meyers and uh, what's her name? Jessica Biel. Jessica Biel. Because apparently there's a lottery that if you have the first baby of the year, it gets $25,000 from this hospital. What kind of hospital is this that is giving out cash money prices? Because it's the first baby of the new year. Obviously. That's what they, they come in and they say it's the first baby of the new year. But my point is thus. Mm-hmm. You can make full-length feature films out of these concepts. They're all in the same film. So, Michaela Dawson, I'm going to sit back. Why don't you tell us about this whole baby thing, all right? The, the hospital baby thing. Explain the story that works there. Oh, that is rough. Um, so they go into the hospital and because uh, they think, you know, they're about to have this baby, Seth Meyers and Jessica Biel. And they're sitting there waiting to be seen and they see another couple and they're talking about blah, blah, blah. Uh, oh, yeah, $25,000. And they're like, excuse me, what? And then they're like, oh, yeah, you know, if you have the, the baby, the first baby after midnight and the husband who was talking with his wife about this prize that Seth Meyers and Jessica Biel overheard was immediately like, there's no money. And the wife's like, oh, yeah, of course, we're going for it. And he's like, no, no. Of course, she doesn't no take money. the hints. <laughs> and she just keeps saying, denying everything he tries to say to cover it up. Like, oh, there'll be so much red tape, you know, after taxes, there'll be no money left. The wife continues to say, no, that's a lot of money. I can't wait to win it, basically. she's She is just there having a grand time, you know, aside from having a baby. And after uh, they walk away, of course, uh, they're like, okay, we're going to win this money now. Mm-hmm. They can pay off my student loans, as he said. Relatable. So, yeah, they are about having this baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're trying really hard, and now it's a competition between them and the husband. The wife's still just having a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she doesn't care. Right. So they go through this contest trying to induce labor. Labor eventually happens at home. They try to get a cab, which they end up getting a rickshaw to the hospital, where they see the other couple, Seth Myers and Jessica Beale, with the other couple, and I don't know their names. I know she was in an M. Night Shyamalan film. I don't know what he was in. But he's a guy from, he works at a charm school. Which apparently is a thing. I've never heard of this before. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> charm school. Yeah. I guess it's where they teach you how to be charming. Mm-hmm. So they meet up and it's like, well, good luck. May, may the best uterus win. This is a line from one of the nurses, by the way. That wasn't even between them. That was a oh, nurse at the counter when I they s- checked in. Can mm-hmm. I say the actual quote? Sure. What's the actual the quote, Michaela? The actual Michaela? quote was, uh, let's see, I have it right down here. It says, may the best J win. This the- is a multi-million dollar film, folks. This was Warner Brothers. <laughs> I was stunned. Multi-million dollar film. <laughs> they have the baby. Uh, they're, they're both having the babies. They find out, Seth Meyers and Jessica Biel find out <clears throat> that the other couple has two girls already, and could probably really use $25,000 more 
than they could. And of course, at that point, you automatically are like, they're going to give the money to them right. if they win the money. Exactly. Which, okay. of course, is what happens. They do actually have the baby first, but when they enter the room afterwards, they say, oh, we were our baby was at 12.04. What about you guys? Obviously, it was before 12.04. It showed it right as the ball dropped, basically. Uh-huh. And they said 12.05, at which point he just kind of breathes a sigh of release and he says, thank you, thank you so much, as he yeah, leaves the room. He goes to tell them, his wife, that they won the money. So the charm school guy and the other gal, they got the $25,000. They've got three girls, one newly born. It's so touching. Again, this could be a full-length film. Mm-hmm. But let me talk to you about this concept. They want to have the baby to have $25,000. This is a quote from the doctor. She says, I know, I know you want to have a very natural childbirth. No epidural, no pecatosin. And Seth Myers and Jessica Beale says, yeah, we were thinking of just having a C-section, you know, maybe tonight at midnight. And so the doctor is like, you know, other people have tried the same exact thing and I will not budge. You should be ashamed of yourself. And she ends up in the hospital anyway to deliver the baby. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's like they have no standards and that money is more important than everything they've planned for their child. Exactly. I mean, $25,000, I can see how someone would say, oh, wow, that's a lot of money. But in reality, it's really not that much. And they're they're willing to put up the health of their child just to win this medium-sized amount of money. That won't even probably pay for the child's entire care. Probably not. No, no, no. Not, it's at least $100,000. It's enough to pay for college. To take care of a child from, like, birth to 18. So that happens. Guys, there are so many more storylines in this film. We got we got to breeze through them. So that happens. I'm going to take another one, okay? How about um Joseph Meyer? Oh, Ashton Kutcher, okay? Mm-hmm. Ashton Kutcher does not like uh he's Paul's roommate, so he's Zac Efron's roommate. He does not like New Year's Eve. Apparently someone broke his heart a long time ago. He destroys a perfectly decorated hallway in his apartment building because he's bah humbug a curmudgeon. He gets on the elevator and then what's the gal's name? Uh, Leah Michelle. Leah Michelle gets in. It says hold the elevator and he holds the elevator. He's got the bag of garbage of stuff of decorations. She's on her way to do something important. They go down seven feet and stop. Mm-hmm. They're stuck in the elevator. She starts freaking out, says, I gotta go, I gotta go. He goes, yeah, you're new, obviously you don't know, the elevator happens. And she's like, why aren't you freaking out? He says, I have nowhere to be, I'm a comic book artist. She says, well, I'm a backup singer, and I've gotta go sing with Jensen, played by John Bon Jovi. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole storyline with Jensen, too. But So they sit in the elevator, and she like gets to know him, he gets to know her. What do you know? They fall in love, they go to kiss, and right as they go to kiss, what happens, Dawson? Of course, the elevator starts working again. Yep, and who called that from a mile away? It was you, Jeremiah. It was me. Who 360 no-scoped that? (laughs) It was you, Jeremiah. Looking the opposite direction. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Me. Because it was so predictable. They don't kiss... She runs out to catch the, uh, to, to sing backup for him on the platform for New Year's Eve in Times Square. And he finds her rubber band bracelet that is supposed to be a balance bracelet and was like, I gotta go after her. Of mm-hmm. course, he's fallen in love. They meet up again. He says, You forgot your bracelet. She says, You came all the way down to Times Square on New, on Year's, New Eve. Year's Eve to give me my rubber bracelet. Guys, I don't think you understand. You're not going anywhere. In Times Square on New Year's Eve. Once you get there, you're done. She couldn't have made it there, let alone him making it there. Right. 
right? Mm. That's not how traffic works in New York. I hate to break it to you, but that's not how traffic works in New York. All this ends up happening, and he goes, well, you forgot something else on the elevator, and he kisses her, and they live happily ever after. Of course. Uh, Jensen plays a song. She sings back up for it. It's beautiful. Then she ends up singing Auld Lang Syne uh, by herself because Jensen has somewhere else to go for his storyline. And apparently Ashton Kutcher and her have a happy New Year's Eve. Summarize the Catherine Hagel, John Bon Jovi storyline for me. Just real quick. Okay, so Catherine is the head chef at this uh, this big event that's happening, New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. this gala. They're catering. They're catering. Obviously, she's going to be very busy in the kitchens. I know Jeremiah especially was very upset about this, but it's all very, very lax. The whole situation, she's... Just calmly cutting up fruits and vegetables. All the other cooks and assistants, her sous chef even, are just coking and joking, you know, having a good time. Apparently, her and Bon Jovi, is uh, they were a couple, kind of a little couple deal going on. He actually asked her to marry him at one point. But afterwards, he gets cold feet very shortly after, and he runs away and goes on tour and leaves her. He says, and I quote, I didn't want to deal with it after he asked her to marry him, which is pretty insane. To me. They got an apartment together, yeah. <laughs> and he just left. He didn't want to deal with it. And he ghosts her. Yeah. So they meet up back at this event, you know, because uh, she's catering for the gala that he is supposed to sing at before he sings in Times Square. I don't... I, I'm so... this. It makes me so anxious, this film. First off, if you've ever watched Hell's Kitchen, how many people does it take to run a kitchen for a dinner service for, I don't know, 50 people? 50, 100 people, you know, it takes at least, I'd say, 20. At right? least. Okay, there are four, and there is no hustle whatsoever in this kitchen. No hustle. They often take breaks to go chat with Bon Jovi yep. or with themselves. Throw or even eggs th- throw poster. eggs at posters <laughs> of Bon Jovi on the wall and talk about how upset she is with Bon Jovi. We're not making this up. Nope. This is real. So, Catherine Hagel and Bon Jovi, like, it's a big back and forth of... Bon Jovi saying, I want to be with you, Catherine. And Catherine going, you ran out on me, Bon Jovi. And then he he does the unthinkable. You know what he does? He sings. He's blue for some reason. Well, because Catherine Hagel won't marry him. And Hilary Swank has to convince him to sing, which I thought was a weird little moment. Because, you know why? Because Matthew Broderick is putting the herd on her. Because he's the president of the Times Square Association. Yes. Mr. Bullerton. Mr. Ferris Bueller. Mr. Bullerton. Of course. Bullerton. All right, that's funny. He goes back and he cancels the tour. He, he says, Catherine, come on tour with me. And she goes, I can't drop my life. I have a life and I like it. And so he comes back and says, I canceled the tour. And you know what she says? She's like, well... It might take a long time for me to forgive you. I might be old and gray. We might have to have lots of makeup loving. And he's like, I, I get that. And then they kiss. And then it's all better. He canceled the tour the night before. Can you imagine if actual Bon Jovi canceled his tour the night before? How many people did he put out of a job? They'd be rioting. Not, not to mention just the tickets alone that have been sold to all these yeah. people expecting to see Bon Jovi. All those people are going to have to get their money back. Right? They're going to have to get a ticket for a different tour or something. There's going to be so many people who aren't going to be working those venues that night. People who have made travel plans that are going to have to cancel. You're telling me that he quits this tour the night before and and Catherine Hagel's just okay with it? But Jeremiah, what you have to understand is it doesn't matter the amount of people who are out of a job. 
It doesn't matter how much money was wasted, how many planes were ruined. What matters is that love prevailed. That Bon Jovi's love prevailed. Oh, it prevailed. <laughs> it prevailed upon me in the worst of ways. Oh, no. I don't know. So that's the Bon Jovi Catherine Hegel bit, okay? There's still more to this film, guys. There's uh, Halle Berry. Halle Berry's the nurse. She gets dressed up in a very, um, you know, kind of sexy pink dress and says, I've got a hot date. Turns out she's going to speak to her husband, who is played by Common, who is apparently in unknown location, maybe Afghanistan, the Middle East. I assume. He's in the military having a Skype call with her on New Year's Eve. That's very cute. But then there's a whole nother storyline with Sarah Jessica Parker and her daughter... Abigail Breslin. Played by Abigail Breslin. She wants to be with her boy. They're not dating. Be with this guy in her... Is it history class? Yeah, yep. their history class. It's kind of the the, the bad boy. Of as their you can history tell. class. Isn't he in the Naked class. Brothers band? He Wasn't is. he from the Naked Brothers band? He's from the Naked he Brothers band. He is also band. on Wizards of Waverly Place. That's a shout out. But yeah, she is desperately wanting to kiss him on the stroke of midnight. And that is her main goal this whole movie. But unfortunately for her, she has a very overbearing mother. Played by Sarah Jessica Parker. Played by Sarah, who, of course, she's blamed for not having a life anymore ever since, you know, her and her father broke up. So she blames her for being a shut-in and all of that. So she, of course, that's too dangerous to be out in New York City by yourself. I won't let you do that, yada yada. So Abigail Breslin sneaks out of her room and runs away to go down and have this midnight kiss in downtown Times Square, which I'm pretty sure you got to buy tickets to get down there. Yeah, into those little too. gates and things. Like, you can't stand right in front of the performers just because you forced your way down there. But apparently they make this look so easy. Like, you can just snake through the crowd and nobody cares. Like, that's not going to happen no. on New Year's Eve. Especially so she, when you're small. <laughs> she gets there too late, and Sarah Jessica Parker's freaking out. She can't find Abigail Breslin. She calls Paul, played by Zac Efron, who apparently is Abigail Breslin's uncle in this Mm-hmm. And Paul says, I know where she is, but don't tell her that the cool uncle ratted her out. And so Sarah Jessica Parker goes to find her. She gets there too late. The uh, the boy that she likes is kissing another girl. And so she and Sarah Jessica Parker run away to this diner, diner cafe thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they say, we're going to go to the Hard Rock Cafe. We've got tickets. We've got people who are going to watch us. A Piper's mom, who apparently is very voyeuristic. And lives vicariously through her children because she's always spying on them from far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The group of the group of kids came back from Times Square and said, "Hey, we're all gonna go to the Hard Rock Cafe." After this. Which at this point it's past midnight, right? You'd think they'd go home. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you out this late? You're 15. They're 15. This is the greatest part. The boy is trying to get Sarah Jessica Parker to agree uh, to let Haley, Haley, and Seth. Uh, Abigail Breslin is Haley. Seth is played by the guy from Naked Brothers Band. They're basically, they say this quote. I gotta find this quote. Supervision is for kids, Mrs. Anderson. With all due respect, we're young adults. Says a 15-year-old living in New York. It's okay, Michaela, you can laugh. <laughs> a valid argument, Sorry. if you ask me. <laughs> Absolutely. These Supervision are Supervision clearly... <laughs> is for kids, Mrs. Anderson. With all due respect, we're young adults. They're the most responsible when what he, children. What he could have said was this Miss Mrs. Piper's like uh, Piper's mother, which they call just Piper's mom, stalks these children on a regular basis 
every minute of every day. So they could have easily said, hey, Piper's mom is going to be there supervising us, so now would it be okay? But no, he decides to take the sassy route, which obviously doesn't work out very well for him. So they end up at this diner. The boy comes in, and she's like, I saw you kissing that other girl. And he's like, you don't understand. She totally snaked it from me. I didn't mean to kiss her. And she's like, well, yeah, but you did. And he goes, well, I know, but I was there, and the ball dropped. And then he just he just gets in there for a kiss. And apparently they had to film that kiss how many times, Michaela? Like 15. 15 times because it was so awkward. Believe you me, it was awkward to watch. Yes. And with, with the final take, I hate to see what the first take was like because mm-hmm. honestly it wasn't much better, I'd imagine. Sure. Uh, they, they get together. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker says, yeah, you can go to the Hard Rock Cafe, the after party, whatever. And then uh, she says, you should get to your party, Mom. Now, what is her party, Michaela? Hmm. That's a good question. This whole movie, we have one other loose end that we haven't tied up, and we think that that's going to be resolved one way, mm-hmm. and that, I think, is the only thing that we all couldn't just be like, this is what's going to happen next. Well, guess what? Her party is going to meet a stranger yes. <laughs> outside of a shut-down restaurant. Not just a shut-down restaurant, a shut-down Mexican restaurant. I thought it was Italian. That's my best. I thought it was Mexican. It said Parker Gondola's. A shut-down ethnic restaurant. Ethnic restaurant. An ethnic restaurant. So here's the deal. Sam is this other guy you see. He's at a wedding out in the middle of nowhere. He crashes his car yelling at the GPS. The tow truck driver cannot help him. Okay, because he's got to do, and I quote, me and my lady friend are going to kill a 12-pack and watch pornographic movies. This is a man who also was strongly against cursing because mm-hmm. his character curses. He said, hey, whoa, 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 watch the cursing. Yeah, I don't curse. Turns out he's a friend of the pastor or a cousin of the pastor mm-hmm. who performed the wedding out in the middle of nowhere. The, the tow truck guy puts Sam with the pastor and the pastor says, yeah, we'll get you there. We take an art, you know, we go in for the Rockettes every year. Uh, in an RV. He didn't tell him that. So they're on this RV. Sam is spilling his heart about, I met this gal on New Year's Eve. She was so beautiful and asked me about my heart. And it was wonderful. And they're all like, you gotta get, you know, you gotta get together with her. Yeah, the grandpa it. is super into it for some reason. Real pervy really, grandpa. Real pervy. Way too into it. And that's the father of the minister. That's kind of weird. Yeah, I'm not, I don't know about that. So Sam ends up, he, he's going to go for it. Okay? He's got to give this big speech at the record thing, the record gala, because he is the son of the mother who owns the record company. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so then he's like, you know what? I'm not just going to spend my night with the floozies here. I'm going to go meet my true love. And we're going, who's his true love? At one point in time, he runs by Hillary Swank. You think maybe it's going to be Halle Berry. It's not either of them. Who's his true love, Dawson? It was the mother, of course, off to her own party, which, of course, was to see him, which is a plan that they made a year ago at the last New Year's, which was the last he had ever heard of her. Meet me here a year from now, New Year's Eve. Yes. Written on a napkin that he kept for an entire year. Memorize the napkin. Memorize this napkin that he put into his Guys, here's what what upsets me. (laughs) Yes. This is a long movie with way too many plots Mm -hmm. that doesn't really go anywhere. And we have spent over a half hour summarizing this darn thing. Mm -hmm. Rough. And there are a bunch of points which we didn't even go over, of course. So that's the summary. 
those are all the storylines that are included in New Year's Eve from 2011. Let's talk about the buzz. We're going to talk gut reactions, thoughts, points in our notes that we have. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I want to give due credit where credit is due. So, Michaela, Dawson, what, what do you guys think of this film? What are some things that stood out about this film? Redeemable uh, things about the film. Irredeemable qualities about the film. That is really rough. I'm not quite sure how to start. Do you have a jumping off point? Because there's uh, a lot. I will say that production value of the movie, pretty great. Of course, mm-hmm. what you would expect from a huge motion picture, a Warner yeah. Brothers film at that. Uh, the writing, pretty so-so with a few really low notes. There's a lot of jokes mm-hmm. in there that just kind of fall flat and make you go, why did they write that into the script? Like the uh, the bouncy, bouncy, bouncy joke, if mm-hmm. you guys yeah. remember that. That is a point. <laughs> Which uh, one of the uh, the lower like cooks, the sous chef, is like very excited because she finds out that this uh, this artist is coming to sing. She's a big fan. So she's jumping up and down, and he just goes, oh, bouncy, 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 while taking a picture of her. Mm-hmm. Like... I wasn't. Unnecessary. The wasn't sous chef is played by Sofia... Vergara? Uh, Vergara. Mm-hmm. Or, or yes. Vergara. I'm never good with her last name. That girl. She's on Modern Family, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That is a point that I had that I was just kind of disappointed by. They had her play. She's a like, fantastic actress. She has talent. They had her play the stereotypical quote-unquote foreigner character. She's that just is, is just there for comedic relief. I don't think it was well played. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Uh, another point I would have would be uh, Ingrid's character. We didn't even go over the reason why she wanted to really dig into her New Year resolutions was because she had a near-death experience. Oh, yeah. At the beginning of this movie, which I'd like to point out that her near-death experience, quote-unquote, was she was about to cross the street and a taxi came kind of close to hitting her, but not really, and she very visually forcibly throws herself into a pile of garbage as if she just narrowly escaped death. And that was your near-death experience, which prompted her actions throughout the rest of the movie. I wish you could see our faces. <laughs> One of the first things in the movie is Michelle Pfeiffer thrown into the trash. It's upsetting. I don't understand this film. I, who's it made for? There can't possibly be this many people who love New Year's Eve in the world. I think it was made for the people who love Valentine's Day. They're yes. like, oh, we made some good money here. Because Let's it's try made it by the same people who made the movie Valentine's Day, which does the same thing. It does this ensemble screen drama where everyone's being followed in all their stories and they eventually come together. And that one kind of worked. But then they said, hey, Let's do Valentine's Day, but what's another holiday we could celebrate? Mm, not Christmas. How about New Year's Eve? Mm-hmm. We have too many Christmas movies, not enough New Year's Eve movies. They're going to come out with one called St. Patrick's Day, mm-hmm. Groundhog Day, mm-hmm. um, 4th of July, oddly enough. you know, Because nothing shouts romance like the 4th of July. <laughs> Guys, I just, it's tiring. This mm. film is tiring. That's what it is. I just... It's hard to get through. It's long for no reason. Why are there so many plot points? You could literally lift any plot point from or plot line from this film and make your own film that's good quality, decent quality, well written, well acted, well produced. You could make, you know, four of these and it would be fun. They would be good. I would watch them. But not altogether shoehorned like this. Mm-hmm. I would say it's mostly just I'd say kind of lazy writing and playing on there. Like they're trying to get a cash cow, essentially. They just had to put a bunch of big-name actors on the board, 
couple little small storylines, not that hard to write up, and boom, what do you know? You got a lot of money, essentially. But I think what they did was they said, we're going to have a bunch of people gathered together, all these A-listers gathered in the same film, and people will go see it because they like them. Mm -hmm. How many times were we sitting there on the couch and we go, is that so-and-so? Is that that's so-and-so? At least every ten minutes. Oh my god. And then another well-known actor or actress would come up and we'd go, come on. Yeah. They're in this? Like, no matter how minor the part two, it right? just has to be a big name actor or actress. Carrie Elwes plays the doctor. This is the third time he's played a doctor. And for <laughs> yes. like for no reason though. I don't I don't uh, I don't get it. So this brings me to a point where um, this film wasn't the best received. You know, there are a lot of funny little moments where you go, huh? What? That's odd. But the critics did not like this film at all. Let me read you a quote. I gotta shuffle my papers here, but let me read you a quote. So, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun Times, I think, summed this movie up the best. He said, New Year's Eve is a dreary plod through the sands of time until finally. The last grain has trickled through the hourglass of cinematic sludge. How is it possible to assemble more than two dozen stars in a movie and find nothing interesting for any of them to do? End quote. I think that's the perfect way to summarize it. That people in production said, let's get this person, that person, this person, that person, this person, that person. It's going to be great. <sighs> And just was a big old sigh. They just spent too much time trying to assemble this all-star team. They're like, wait, we forgot to write a movie. <laughs> we'll we just throw yeah. something together real fast. We forgot the script. Nah, I don't worry about it. We have all these different tropes of all the movies that people like. Let's just... Yeah. Let's shoehorn mm -hmm. all the tropes, the cliches, the jokes you see coming from a mile away. Man, we'll, we'll be fine. It'll be good. If you, have, you really want a movie that just hits every trope you could possibly think of that you think might come up, this is the movie for you. Because I remember when Ashton gets stuck in the elevator, I called it that they would get stuck in the elevator before it happened. Then, oh, of course, they're going to use the emergency phone in the elevator, right? Because it'll probably have one of those. Mm -hmm. Didn't work. Of course, they'll try to call after that. Guess what? No reception. Mm -hmm. I was especially upset about the no reception because there's a window pane in the side of right? the elevator yeah. shaft. It's <laughs> like... Maybe a half inch of glass mm -hmm. separating them to the outside world. But yeah, they but have it's no a big reception. It's a big metal cage. You know, yeah, it's that's probably fair. But then, who called uh, that the elevator was going to start working when they started to kiss? It, it was I you. Mean, it was me. Like, come on! Like, we see this from a mile away. This is awful. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't get it. Why bring all these people together for a subpar film? I don't know. I money. think it's for the money. Yeah, it's got to be money. for the money. You know, and then uh, Stephen Whitty of Newark Star Ledger, which Newark, Newark is in New Jersey. It's mm -hmm. close to New York. He writes this, and I'm going to sing it for you because I think it's it's best saying. He goes, oh. <laughs> Should all acquaintance be forgot? I don't know, but New Year's Eve sure should be. <laughs> and I think that's really true, Stephen. You're, you're very witty. I say witty because it's W-H-I-T-T-Y. -T -T Stephen Witty, you got it. You, you know... This is a very forgettable film. Mm. What do you enjoy more than this film? Ooh. Oh, I might enjoy flossing sure. more than this film. That's fair. The really? way that your teeth, like getting a teeth cleaning at the dentist and you come out and like, you're like, I'm going to floss every day. You're filled <laughs> with motivation. You've got resolutions about how clean your mouth is going to be all the time. You feel yeah. like you could conquer the world and that your teeth are so bright and white. That's a great feeling. Watching, we're not kidding. Let's count the plot lines. Okay. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, at least seven plot lines. At least. At least. I would rather have shiny teeth. And just like flossing right after you leave the dentist and you have that motivation to just keep going for days on end, it often falls flat. It does. And it doesn't follow through. It does. It's a great way to put it. And for some reason, like, they they love gathering big-name people for these, these kinds of films. So I found this funny. Halle Berry and Michelle Pfeiffer, they both played Catwoman. Do you know that? They did, they yeah, did. you're right. And then what's funny is that Anne Hathaway appeared in Valentine's Day in 2010, made by the same people. She also played Catwoman. This production crew has worked with all of the Catwomen in the Batman DC universe. You think that's a coincidence, or did they they go for that, you think? I think it was a coincidence. I think they're just throwing names out on a wall and seeing mm-hmm. what sticks. Also, I'd like to point out real fast, did you say that Valentine's Day was in 2010. Was 2010, was and this was in 2011. So they made it in a year yep. as well. That explains a lot, too. Obviously, this is a cash grab, yeah. from my point of view. So it's going to be surprising. We seem to be pretty down on this film, all right? But I think you're going to be surprised as to how well it did with people. Critics didn't like it, but we're going to get to the people. But before we do, do you guys have anything else in the buzz before we talk about the last thing I've got here? Do you have other comments, quotes? Uh, things you noticed, things you didn't like, things you did like, things you 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 want to forget immediately. <laughs> There's uh, one thing that did confuse me. Kind of, it's a very small note, but when Sam was at this wedding in the middle of nowhere. Uh, during the wedding, after they say their vows, they say, yeah, what a turnout, essentially. But they look, there's no one at the wedding. Mm-hmm. All right, well, it's kind of strange, but you know, whatever. But as they leave the chapel, there's two strange old women throwing, like, bird seeds at them as they do. Who are these old women? Why were they not in there during the service? Like, are they, they had, part of the church? They had nothing else oh, better really? to do yeah. on New Year's Eve. Of course. Maybe that's all it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the cheesy music cues. That was a fun time. Yep. Um... I think my favorite part of this entire movie was the elderly woman that got oh, yes. onto the elevator. Yep. And s- slowly, so slowly, closed the elevator gate and smacked away the hand of the man who was trying to help. And uh, then later also showed up in the gag reel at the end uh, to mark the end of the filming. Mm-hmm. Very lady. slowly, of course. Yes. Yep. She, a queen. Love her. Yeah. So, um, I think this film suffers from lots of things. I think it was kind of a cash grab. They said Valentine's Day did well. Let's try it again with New Year's Eve. I don't think it works. I don't think that it was well written. Again, you could take any one of these plot lines and make a full-length feature film, flesh it out a little bit, and have a good film. I get that romantic comedies slash dramedies um, are supposed to be this, like, meh, meh kind of deal, but... Honestly, like, I would have loved to seen a full-length feature film about Hilary Swank and Robert De Niro. I agree, I agree. And I think that would be so lovely. And, like, it, can you imagine if they started off a film where Robert De Niro and his little daughter, you know, you're ready to watch the ball drop, uh, little muffin, you know, little little kitten? Uh, yeah, I'm ready, Dad. And, and it builds him up, and then it, it cuts to her now modern day, you know, yada, yada, and then you know, he's dying and, and you're kind of, you don't know that they're father and daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, you see the kind of terrible person he was. You see yeah, how she's so dedicated to work. Yeah. And then they come together at the end to watch the ball drop from the hospital and he dies. Yes. That would be such a good film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Such a good film. Not New Year's Eve. 
this film was actually nominated for five Golden Raspberries. So the Golden Raspberries happened the night before the Oscars. They've been happening for 40 years now. Um, and they nominate movies to receive a Golden Raspberry, which a raspberry is a... <clears throat> that's a raspberry. People nominate these films. They vote on them. Uh, it's not meant to be an Academy Award, okay? You can actually become a member of the Golden Raspberries for $40. I'm thinking about doing it for my birthday. And so that I can, you know, Jeremiah from the B-Movie Podcast can have a say in these terrible films, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that'd be great. It's meant to be kind of, uh, um, what's it called? Um, a parody? Satirical. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just satirical. It's a parody. You know, we're not, we're not looking for good films. We're here to lampoon the bad ones. This one got nominated for five Golden Raspberries. Worst Picture, Worst Director, which was Gary Marshall, Worst Actress, Sarah Jessica Parker, Worst Screenplay, Catherine Fugate, and Worst Screen Ensemble, the entire cast of New Year's Eve. Now, do you know what it lost out to? What was that? Jack and Jill. <laughs> by Adam Sandler. It's hard to... I never watched Jack and Jill, but I saw the trailer, and that was the last thing I ever wanted to see in my entire right? life. So I can imagine why they would lose. Now, I'd rather watch this than Jack and Jill, but the fact remains they were nominated for five Golden Raspberries. Obviously, we are not alone in our idea that this is just a mediocre film at best. This is not something you're going to go... Oh my gosh, you haven't seen New Year's Eve? How could you not have seen New Year's Eve? This isn't a Star Wars. This isn't a uh, a Dark Knight Rises or the Dark Knight. I mean, this is not one of those films that's going to change media as we know it. Now, with that being said, I'd like to move on to the grading section. So for those of you who listen, you know, uh, we have three grades that a film can receive. A B+, which means it's so bad that it's great. We'd watch it again and again. We'd laugh at the jokes. We want to tell our friends about it. A B, which means I watched it, but it's okay. It's meh. I wouldn't waste my time with it again. Or a B minus, or a BM, if you will, uh, which is this is so bad I have to stop myself from gouging my eyes out with a bell spoon. So we're going to start over here. Dawson, then Michaela, then I'll, I'll come in. What is your grade of this film? Knowing our, our grading metric, what's your grade? You know, I would actually probably say that I would give this a B. You know, uh, production wise, very high quality. It just falls so flat with the writing. Very tropish, very easy to digest for anyone who wants to watch it, besides maybe the confusion with the plot lines. But it wasn't terrible. I I didn't have to stop watching halfway through to go take a break. Yeah, so. although we did pause it, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michaela, what about, what about your grade? I would I would honestly agree. It wasn't it wasn't a great movie. I will definitely never watch it again. But I think that it is all right. Uh, I mean, if you're a person who loves just watching, like, super sappy films, doesn't mind that there's not a lot of substance here, sure. I don't think you'd want to watch it again either, Mm -hmm. but not terrible. This strikes me as what would be called a guilty pleasure film. Yeah. You know, maybe you really like New Year's Eve. And, you Mm -hmm. know, if you like New Year's Eve, that's great, okay? It, It can be this magical time of renewal and change and hope, and love, and you know, I hope that if you like that, I hope you find that in this film, mm-hmm. but uh, other than that, like, you know it's going to be subpar from watching it, so I'm going to give it a B as well, um, it's okay, I saw it once, I'm glad I saw it, I'm glad I could do an episode about this, I'm not going to watch this again, no. I think it's fun to talk about maybe, again, I would watch any one of these plot lines in a full-length feature film, 
Get on um, it, Hollywood. But unfortunately, they, they just fall flat. So here's the real question. And this is the one I'm most intrigued about tonight because it's surprising. So every episode, we end the episode by asking the absolutely needless question, is this better or worse than the B-movie with Jerry Seinfeld? Let me read you some statistics. So Dawson, Michaela, do you know how much the budget for the B-movie was? It was uh, $200 million, right? Nope. Around there? It was $150 million. $150 okay. So uh, what do you think it pulled in in the box office? Maybe like $250. $250? Okay, you're close. $287 million. So the budget was $150 287 million in the box office, which gives us 91.73% success. So they made their money back uh, and then some. They did more than break even. Now, here's what gets me New Year's Eve, guess how much their budget was? All of these A list actors and actresses, guess how much their budget was? I'd say a pretty penny, at least 100 million. You would think. You'd think it'd be kind of up there with the B movie, right? Wrong. What? The budget. For New Year's Eve was $56 million. Oof. That's Wh- it. Why were they in this movie? <laughs> That's it. Because here's the thing. The budget was $56 million. The box office was $142 million. Wow. This is an increase of 153.5%. New Year's Eve, with its star-studded cast and so-so storylines, brought in more money than the B-movie. And that's surprising to me. I didn't think it would it would do as well in the box office as it did. I didn't think that it would ha- it would have made that much money, but it did. Now, mm-hmm. so it New Year's Eve has a, a plus one in the column, you know, when it comes to box office. But let's talk about uh, Rotten Tomatoes. So, if you had to guess, what do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score is for the B movie? Critics rating, audience rating. It'd be cheating. I already know this. Please, what do you? What are your guesses? I know that it's a fifty percent. It's a perfect fifty percent. Okay. I, I stacked that up before. Hey, we were talking about this last night. Perfect fifty percent on the critics' rating. The audience rating is a fifty-three percent. Now, the interesting part here is that New Year's Eve has a Rotten Tomato score of seven percent critics' rating. Wow. Seven percent, which means the critics by and large, liked the B-movie way more than they liked New Year's Eve. However, it had a 43% audience score for New Year's Eve. So 43% of the audience liked it. They thought it was a good, sappy film, a dramedy, a rom-com, whatever. However, for the audience score for the B-movie, it scores 53%. So the B-movie, you know, we got one for the B-movie, one for New Year's Eve. Now, I guess we're going to have to ask this question. So we look at those numbers... Uh, And we look at, you know, kind of the storylines and whatnot. Now, the B-movie had a star-studded cast as well. A lot of voice actors and actresses came out of the woodwork to do this. But I don't think it flopped in the way that New Year's Eve did. So I think if we include the grading in this, I think that New Year's Eve is not better than the B-movie overall. I'm proud that it was able to do what it did in the box office, but I would rather watch the B-movie, right? Mm -hmm. I would, I would, um, I'd watch the B movie again. I don't really care to watch this movie again. Can I give like um, speculation as to why it did so well in the box sure. office? I think it's a one of those movies you take your date out to. Right. It's one of those things. Go out for dinner and a movie. Okay. It's non-committal because mm-hmm. you don't have to pay attention because they'll they'll resolve it all at the end, right? They'll they'll everyone will have their happily ever after. 
But it's also one that it's like, oh, slightly romantic, New Year's Eve kiss, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we'll be kissing in the movie theater, right? Like, you know, we don't, I don't have to follow this. And in fact, if I had fallen asleep for the first half of the film, I could have woken up and gone, what's going on? Who are these people? And I would say, eh, I'll figure it out. And I'd be okay. You would, for sure. Like, it's, it's just, it falls flat. It's so flat. So, there you have it, folks. This is New Year's Eve. Um, I'm sorry to start your new year off with such a bad film. But then again, this is the B-Movie Podcast, where we watch bad films and answer the absolutely needless question, is this better or worse than the B-Movie? So, Michaela Dawson, thank you so much for coming out. I'm so glad we could see you guys while you're here visiting family. I'm glad that we could watch this, this terrible movie um, and do this episode of the podcast. Is there anything you want to say before we go? Uh, just that this has been a delight. I uh, can't wait to see uh, what movies you review next, that's yes. for sure. Well, so, join us next time when we review uh, the wonderful, terrible classic, The Last Airbender by M. Night Shyamalan. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a happy new year. Come back and listen for some more episodes. Thanks. Bye-bye.